Dr. Laura Toller is a psychology professor at Durham University in England. She studies echolocation, that thing that bats use to fly around in the dark and catch bugs. But Dr. Toller doesn't study bats. She studies humans. Okay, so imagine that you are walking uh, at night and um, it's very hard to see. To echolocate, you start by making a noise. For example, uh, just pressing the tongue to the top of the roof of the mouth and then pulling it back. When that click bumps into something, like a building or a parked car, the sound waves bounce back and you hear the echo. And at that point, you'll be able to infer that, oh, there's something that reflects the click that I'm making. And then at this point, you are echolocating. We hear echoes all the time, but there are some people who listen more closely than others. Dr. Toller thinks that 20 to 30 percent of blind people use some version of active echolocation, probing spaces with sounds and listening for feedback. Austin Serafin has been blind since birth. Back in 2012, he heard about a group of blind people who were teaching others how to echolocate. He wanted to give it a try, so he took a three-day intensive course. One of the first things he learned was how to click. You put the tip of your tongue behind your front teeth and at the same time bring down the center of your tongue. It's kind of, there's a suction. That's what makes it unique. The noise that a blind person makes is a, is a click uh, made, made by flicking the tongue in the, the back of the mouth, um, something like this. That's Dr. Chris Baker, a professor at Ohio State University. That would be a very weak click compared to the, the strong clicks that a blind person makes. Dr. Baker works with radar systems. There's a lot of overlap between radar and sonar and echolocation, and he wants to know if human echolocation can give us any clues about improving electronic radar. It turns out that clicking sound people make, it carries really detailed information. Now, to you and I, um, that that just sounds like a a click noise. But if we analyze that in detail, we find out that it's made up of three distinct frequency types, a low frequency, a mid-frequency, and a high frequency. Each frequency bounces back in a different way. Soft materials absorb the lowest frequencies. Smooth, hard materials are good at sending back all three. And all this information helps human echolocators build up a library of objects they can recognize. Austin Sarfin is still pretty new to this, but there are a few things he can pick out. Buildings, hallways. It's like suddenly all the stuff's around you that you didn't even know was there and that you can, you know, you can use that information to help you navigate and help you interact. He tells me that for the first time, he's experiencing something like long-range vision. That comparison between sight and echolocation might not be too far off the mark. Dr. Toller ran an experiment where she had blind echolocators listen to recorded sounds. While they were listening, she watched their brain activity to see what was going on. When those recordings contained echoes, a sound followed by that same sound reflected back, those echoes lit up the part of the brain that sighted people use to process light. Dr. Toller thinks that blind people interpret echoes differently than other sounds because that click sends a signal to their brains to expect something. So, for example, let's say you echolocate and you make a mouth click and you listen to the returning echo. Then, in this case, your brain knows that you made the click. And when it then interprets the echo, it may take that into consideration. So blind echolocators register the echo as a sound, but there's more information in there if they want it. Details about distance and texture and space. Now, in sighted people, 
spatial information is often conveyed through light. It has been proposed, however, that in principle, that part of the brain that's, that's active during vision or spatial processing, that that might also be responsive to spatial information provided by other modalities. Austin Serafin takes me out into the hallway of his building for a demonstration. As he walks, he's scanning from side to side, turning his head in the direction he's sending each click, like he's looking around. When we reach the end of the hall, there's a big opening and a flight of stairs. He tells me about his first time echolocating this place, that before then, he had never thought about the way that a staircase twists up over itself. And I remember clicking up and seeing them going up diagonally, being like, what is that? And I. It took me a minute for it to click that, oh, that's the underside of the stairs above going up. I'd never had that immersion into 3D space before. Seraphin leads me up to the roof of his building. Here we are. It's really loud up there. The and his clicking gets lost in the noise from the heating and cooling vents. Sound interference is a problem for echolocation. It's kind of like a sighted person trying to walk through dense fog. Dr. Toller thinks that people put a lot of pressure on blind echolocators, forgetting that the ideal conditions are different and expecting them to navigate as fluidly as sighted people. She taught herself to echolocate, in a very basic way, through trial and error. And she says it's nothing like seeing. I do not have a strong sense that it would be very similar to my visual experience. It's not like I see in a visual way. But it isn't too hard to learn. She also teaches her students how to do it. I teach here a course where I also talk about echolocation. And so I had the students uh, sitting, I asked them to close their eyes, and I had a little loudspeaker. She plays a sound through the speaker and uses a plastic board that she holds up in front of it to reflect the sound back. And um, I asked them to raise their arm when they thought that the object was in front of the speaker. And then I asked them, okay, now open your eyes and... They were all surprised that they actually all kind of got it. Humans are pretty good at learning new things. And anyone with decent hearing can pick up the basics of echolocation quickly. For blind people who have more to gain, it's even easier. And that's because the human brain is plastic. It can adapt to change. And it can adapt to change in a variety of ways. Now, when people lose input through a sensory modality, such as vision, for example then their brain will also adapt to this challenge. In other words, because there is blindness, because vision does not provide input, there is the freedom of the brain to do something different. I'm Meg Kramer.